Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. This is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we're both very excited to be talking to you about, I don't remember when it was made. Some Cherry year. Tooth, some <laughs> the movie that was made in some year. Cherry. Okay. I'm going to start again. Hello, welcome Sorry. to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. This is my co-host. Your name is Chris Huddleston, oh. and today... <laughs> I forgot my name is Chris Huddleston. This is off to a, great, to a start. great start. <laughs> Folks, if you're just listening for the first time, it doesn't get any more professional than this. It does not. Anyway, today we're going to talk about Cherry 2000. In the future, the world has survived. Romance has not. All right, so we'll say a dinner, complete sexual encounter optional episode in the morning right i gotta run this past my own lawyer pleasure is strictly business but it will be possible to have the perfect mate a cherry 2000 looks great thanks thoughtful desirable she'll never run out on him just short out Sorry, kid. Total internal meltdown. Now you got her basic memory right here. Vocal patterns, verbal, whatever. Basic voice. Don't look so glum. Your chassis's out for the count, all right? You got the chip. You go in, you pick yourself out a new model. You slide it in the slot. You got yourself your girl bag in a brand new frame. Give me a call if you find a cherry. Cherry 2000. Look, my friend, you're going to be a very old man, round in the middle and bone dry before you find one of those in these parts. That's a chance I'll just have to take. Then... The adventure begins. Why don't you hire a tracker to get into Zone 7? Oh, we got a policy against trackers in these parts. Nobody goes into Zone 7. They got one of the original warehouses down there. Girls stacked in the shelves like pies. I'm looking for someone to go into Zone 7. I'm E. Johnson. You're not going to find anybody better than me, mister. I'm not a machine. Call it the graveyard. It is the worst place in the zone. Maybe I can get in there and find this thing, but I need somebody riding shotgun in order to make it out in one piece. I want you to chase those birds till they drop. If you think it's tough to meet the right people now, wait till you go looking. For a Cherry 2000. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. And this is from Rotten Tomatoes. And I have, I had a lot of questions about this movie. I don't know if I'm dense or just didn't pay enough attention, but I would pick some nits with this, uh, this synopsis. But anyway, it, it says uh, in the post-apocalyptic California of 2017, Sam Treadwell, who's played by David Andrews, manages a recycling plant. His companion is Cherry 2000, Pamela Gidley, a lifelike robot who caters to his every need. When Cherry expires, Treadwell refuses to settle for a newer, less attractive robot. Salvaging the chip containing her personality, he hires tracker E. Johnson, Melanie Griffith, to lead him through the lawless desert zone where a replacement Cherry 2000 model can be found. And this was directed by Steve DeJarnat, who also directed Miracle Mile that we did a few weeks ago. And so you had 
looked through his film filmography and had brought this one up. And so, all right. So neither of us had seen this one. So what did, what did you think about this? I mean, I, I, I thought it was fun. I thought it was interesting to see Melanie Griffith um, in a role like this. It's not that complicated a movie. Uh, I, you know, I enjoy those eighties. Just the, 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 I like dystopian, you know, sci-fi anyway. And the sweet spot is eighties dystopian, uh, stuff, but very different than dystopian stuff from our two thousands era. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not great. Um, there's a reason why I hadn't seen it. I think I had been aware of it because it's got a um, racy title. I mean, it's supposed to have a sexual hook. The Cherry 2000 implies, you know, sex. Um, yeah, and he's going into the wasteland. I love it. So it's L.A. and there's like Zone 7 or whatever, which is apparently some. Was it a nuclear? I don't know that they say. So what that it. was one of the questions that I had. I didn't. So initially, and I, I don't want to. Uh, you know, step on your no your introductory comments here, but <laughs> but uh, I was kind of confused because the trailers, you know, is pretty much all stuff in the desert, and then when the film started out, so I thought, oh, it's a you know, it's a Mad Max kind of a thing, and then the movie starts out and it's in the city, and it you know, people have jobs and drive around in cars and stuff, so I thought, oh, well, maybe this isn't a post-apocalyptic thing, and then when he goes looking doing you know hires the tracker and everything then that's all the rest of the entire rest of the movie is in the desert yeah so i didn't really does the movie ever say what happened there's he makes some comment about when he fought in the wars of the border wars or something like that but but they don't really let you know so it's it's not like a total apocalypse but there are just these kind of forbidden zones right that's that's how i sort of got it that's that's all that I remember from it. I don't remember them getting into the nuts and bolts. It's certainly not radioactive, like they're out yeah. Mad Maxing around in Zone 7 and they're not concerned about their skin sloughing off or yeah. dying of radiation poisoning. So, I mean, maybe it's just one of those movies where it's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. don't think about it too hard. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, it's not, <laughs> I didn't get hung up on that. I was just like, okay. Um, there's a crazy, he's not a mob boss, but there's a crazy kind of Mad Max kingpin out in zone seven that everyone's afraid of. And that guy's that actor's name. He, he was, a. am sure you recognized him because he was sure. in tons of TV in the day. Yeah. And I didn't even know what his, his name was, but his name is Tim Thomerson. That guy <laughs> Always play it seemingly all the roles he played were kind of like this, where he's just kind of crazy and not wild, to be, you know, but he's really good. And not to be confused with Tom Timerson. Exactly. Two completely different <laughs> totally different guys. type types. Um, yeah, it's a great gonzo crazy 80s nut job performance. Like, okay, you're out in the wasteland, you're crazy. And he's like, got it. And he's chewing the furniture. Yeah. Um you know, and he has this sort of his home base is sort of set up like a nightclub or a diner's got a flashing sign over, you know, and mm -hmm. he's got a crew of people that live out there with him, his his cronies or whatever. And they're 
it's absurd. But, you know, our hero and our heroine have to get past these, you know, malicious cuckoo birds to get to this storehouse where the Cherry 2000 model that he's in love with, it's an apparently they don't make it anymore. The sex robots they make nowadays are kind of crappy and aren't anything like the old. Everyone's like, oh, that, those are one of the... They talk about them like classic cars. They like, don't make oh, them like that anymore. Yeah, oh, that was a... <laughs> <laughs> that was a great machine. Like good old days. Yeah. And um, back in my day, we had Cherry 2000s. Exactly. And so it, um, but what the surprise of this film is that it actually turns out to be a relationship movie. Like it's, it's basically a romantic comedy without yeah. much of the comedy and like with some action yeah. thrown in because it follows a, a romantic comedy template kind of plot line right boy not meets girl boy buys girl robot right boy loses girl robot you know boy goes out into zone seven to recover girl robot and meets you know another a real girl along the way and then ends up falling for the real girl he gets so spoiler alert we spoil all these so he does end up getting a new cherry 2000 and he puts a little tiny mini dvd uh, of her entire personality into the new one. And, um, and then of course, compared to this new firecracker redhead that he's met in the desert, he realizes she's sweet on him from the beginning. Right. She's a kind of a tough as nails, you know, she doesn't let it show, but it's clear that she's kind of fallen for this guy and he doesn't get it. And that makes her grumpy. And uh, but by the end, he comes around. She bails out of the helicopter. They're escaping in or whatever it is. And he goes back for her, even though he doesn't need to. Because there's got his thing. He, yeah, because they it can't hold the weight of three of the robot and the two of them. So he dumps off the robot. Right. Um. You know, so it's it's. Doesn't it's not. I think that in different, you know, if Denny Villeneuve had made this, it would have deeper waters to it. It would explore what it sure. means to be human and what love is and, you know, and, and the subtle ways in which our love can change through experience. And this movie does none of those things. <laughs> this movie drives muscle cars around in the desert and shoots, uh, you know, RPGs at uh, houses and vehicles and maces and blows them up and it's fun one of the things that really struck me from this was um what uh, how strange an actress she is on screen like melanie griffith yeah yeah melanie griffith is there's no denying that the camera loves her you can't take your eyes off of her um and she's sexy she's got sex appeal but her line delivery there's something so almost Lazy isn't the right word, but there's sort of a way that she talks. It's just sort of like, it's a little bit like, like marble mouthed or something. And it was, you know what I'm talking about? Or is that just me? Yeah. And I was she, just like, what is she, it about this woman that is so interesting, inherently interesting? Because it's not Meryl Streep. She ain't, <laughs> you know? Initially, I thought, and as the movie went along, I 
I liked her better, but initially I thought, wow, she is horribly miscast in this because she's supposed to be this badass and you know she drives this old mustang or whatever it is that has nitrous in it you know and she drives with no lights on and and all this kind of thing and she drives I, by feel thought, i just drive by feel yeah well you're like and okay so, <laughs> so there's seatbelt in this thing <laughs> i initially thought and was completely wrong but i wonder if you thought thought this um well, let me let me just say first with Melanie Griffith, she's always been a a woman that as an adult always to me she has kind of like a little girl voice, you know. Um and again that didn't help with the the badass thing. You know, as the as the movie went along, I I liked her more in it. But um but did did you think that that she was going to turn out to be a robot too? Did that ever cross your mm. mind? Because in the beginning, I yeah. thought, oh, with the she goes by feel or whatever, I thought, oh, she's going to be a robot too. He's going to find out in the end that she's also a robot. Yeah, I um, mean, I, thought, I guess yeah. this isn't that kind of movie. It's not Blade Runner, you know. Sometimes, sometimes these movies go that way, but I never felt that way. I thought from the beginning, I'm like, this isn't going to be. Uh, it is. It's going to be one of those movies where, like, she becomes the love interest, and he finally realizes how uninteresting a robot is compared to. A real girl and they hit that yeah they kind of hammer that anvil a lot throughout the movie right so to the point where i was kind of like okay i mean but you see it coming you see it coming in a lot of movies and it doesn't ruin the movie that doesn't ruin the movie for me this one just doesn't run that deep this is just a right an 80s sci-fi romp and i thought interestingly they didn't play a lot of the cards that this, I mean, this feels like a B movie and mm -hmm. in the eighties, they played the kind of TNA card, you know, you'd see some skin. Uh, I guess there's that sex scene in the beginning that he's went. So in the beginning, he and his cherry 2000, he kind of come home like, don't worry, darling. He comes home and the robot is standing there in a red dress, you know, with made dinner and has a cocktail ready for him. And they end up, mm -hmm starting to make love on the floor of the kitchen or maybe it's the bathroom it's in the kitchen in the kitchen and in the sink overflows or something and she shorts out in the water and it's has a this bad sort of... uh bad bad design flaw you're uh, yes your your sex robot you can't you know take showers or baths or anything like that well with it. so that's a... <laughs> you know and i i had the thought that he cares enough about her that, it, it, you know, I, I had the thought that in this world, they probably are waterproof. Um, mm -hmm. But she's just an old enough model that something went wrong. And that's how it yeah. fails. Because otherwise, he wouldn't, you know, they're rolling around in the suds for a while. And if it was a problem, yeah. she would be like, this is not good for me. I cannot be wet like this. <laughs> I don't know. And the guy is... The guy is legit in love with her. I mean, it's not like, I mean, totally. he looks at her like a. Totally. Enough that Jesus. even though, so he takes her to the shop and the guy's like total, total system meltdown. I'm sorry, pal. You know, there's just no fixing this. Um, the good news is, is that her brain chip or whatever is totally unharmed. So you can pop mm -hmm. this and, you know, we can, you know, the new models don't take this, but we can just transfer it. You know, we've got the machines that'll read it and we'll just. Buy yourself a new one, one of the new models, and we'll put your girlfriend's personality into that. 
And he doesn't want that. He wants one that looks, he wants her again. So he wants another mm -hmm. one of those exact models that's really important to him. And everybody, a number of people through the movie kind of roll their eyes and like, he does meet one guy that totally gets. He's like, oh, I know what you're, I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. You're like, Ugh. anyway, <laughs> anyway, he, he says, uh, you know, I got to have the real deal. And he convinces her, the, the, you know, the Melanie Griffith character is just pretty much if the price is right, she's, it seems like she's willing to go into like do stuff in zone seven, almost for the thrill of it. One of the things I liked about her performance is that although she's not capital A acting any anything really, she's just sort of showing up in movie starring and looking comfortable on camera and delivering her lines. And, you know, there's no effort displayed here. But, but that carries through to this sort of crazy impossible mission where they're like hooking the car up to a giant crane that swings it across the mm -hmm. while people are shooting at them and she's just singularly unruffled you know yeah they risk their lives she drives without the lights on through uncharted desert she drives by feel which is bon that's ridiculous <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah but somehow melanie griffith playing it with such ease like yeah no biggie you kind of like oh okay i guess she's just crazy like that you know yeah, and she's likable in this, you know, yeah. so um, there's yeah, definitely her, a charisma to her, you know. If you can, if you're watching this, you can see the image behind me. They give her this kind of uh, bob, this kind of red, you know, shag haircut that I think really looks good on her in this crazy. I mean, yeah. I guess it's an echo of Cherry, you know, she is not Cherry 2000, but she's this sort of bombshell redhead. I don't know. And uh, along those lines, you know, she's really attractive, but this, the actress that is Cherry 2000, who I was not familiar with, is named Pamela Gidley. I mean, she had, she was in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I, I don't know what role she played in that, but she is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I thought, you know, so it's like, you know, the guy knows that she's a robot and everything, but I mean, she is just really, really beautiful. Um, but yeah, that kind of works. The... I think that works in the casting though, because she's convinced she's blonde and I think blue eyed and sort of conventionally magazine pretty in that way. And then they try and counterpoint it with the design of the, um, the bounty hunter character, you know, yeah. who is very kind of outside the lines. I mean, she's obviously and exciting and too. yeah, exactly. Yeah, whereas the, you know, they by the end, they kind of portray the Cherry 2000 as boring, you know, boring. Yeah, exactly. The other question that I had that I didn't really completely understand, and I, I don't know if, if the movie explained this and I just missed it, but what was the issue with the trackers that people were, you know, like when he goes to the, you know, so he, there's a little period where he's with these, the the crazy guy that has this community at it because it's like his ex-wife is his ex-wife or his ex-girlfriend or something like that is there of the main character. Um, oh, yeah. and they're very against trackers. So they, they catch this one guy who turns out he lies, but he turns out to be a tracker and they kill him. And it's like, we don't like trackers around here. Did, did you understand what the issue was with the trackers that they were, mm -hmm. No, I just think it was sort of, it made me think of... Again, Han maybe it's Solo. one of those things you just don't think about it too much, but... 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was just sort of painting like, oh, those trackers, they're bad news. They're like bounty hunters. They're not socially acceptable characters. They're not trustworthy. Mm. They're double-crossing. You know, like Han Solo. It's yeah. Bo- both supposed to be, hey, man, you're you're walking dangerous territory, but also amping up the, like, bad boy, bad girl setup for the character you're going to meet, yeah. you know? Yeah. And cut um, to them driving Ertl- down through the desert wasteland with no headlights on. You know? <laughs> yeah. Early on in the film, there's a couple of interesting scenes that I thought was a pretty kind of interesting bit of satire or whatever that, that goes nowhere. I don't, it, it's a little weird that they didn't even just cut it out, but he's lost the cherry 2000 and this is before he's gone into the desert and he goes into his office job and he has these couple of buddies there, these kind of goofy one is the one uh, was the guy who started in the show sledgehammer. I don't know if you remember sledgehammer from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a short lived show, but anyway, you know, they take him out to, they go out to a club or whatever, like so he can meet a real girl. Right. And any, so it's all these, you know, people in the club, like trying to hook up. And when a man and a woman meet, they have lawyers who come in to, to (laughs) dictate everything. So it's like in the future we've got, and that was funny because that felt like it could, that was one aspect of it that felt like it could be today where it's like, Oh, you know, in these, this woke era, you know, you can't, you can't say anything or do anything or it'll be harassment or whatever. So we we're going to have attorneys to, you know, spell out the, the uh, you know, the, how things are going to go for the night. I just thought that was pretty funny. And it's just this little thing thrown in that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. That, Other than to maybe show that he's just like uh, the heck with real relationships. I'd rather have the robot and I don't have to right. deal with any of this. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I think the beginning of the movie does use that scene to sort of set up. I mean, it, it doesn't have a conversation about it, but it does sort of. It it's sort of the you know the shift of the movie is in the beginning he's like well you know my cherry two thousand is makes the perfect sense because it's mm-hmm. everything I want it to be and I don't have to worry about its feelings I think it doesn't really get into that it it gets into like she's everything I ever wanted in a partner and she's head over heels crazy in love with me right so yeah she doesn't the unspoken part is she doesn't ask anything of me except to be exactly as I am. Um, Yeah. But what takes the curse off of that is by literally by design, she's happy, right? She's not, there's not this sort of Blade Runner thing where it's like, but they're people too. It's like, but she's not right. She's just super convincing and he doesn't have to do any work of any kind. He just gets everything he wants and the work only comes in when she melts down and he realizes he's, he's literally willing to go into hell to try and get her back. Right. So even though we're talking about it in these terms from the beginning of the movie, it does. And then it sort of shows us, well, real relationships are literally litigious to the point of, you know, the consent thing is like, you need your lawyers there to get it on paper. So if yeah. anything goes outside those lines, 
there's accountability and there's a paper trail. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a funny scene. I, I thought that was a really funny little, you know, idea. that would have seemed over the top, except that we have recently had, you know, conversations that maybe, you know, maybe what we need to be doing in the bedroom is, you know, I would like, I'm going to touch your breast. Do I have your permission? To, yes, you have my permission. You know, yeah. that kind of explicit. And I'm not necessarily saying that people shouldn't communicate to that degree, but it it certainly doesn't feel sexy to me. Like, I think the no. idea of some mystery and some nonverbal communication is sort of, can be, I don't know. I feel like I can't even talk about this because I'm going to get myself into trouble, but. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, and exactly. And I and I think people, uh, you know, dating today. I think a lot of people are unsure of what the rules are and everything. You know what I yes. mean? That it's like you don't want to. Yes. You don't want to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. You know. And so so yeah, I, I just thought that could be just lifted verbatim and put into a, a movie or a series today. I think and play, you know, really well. Now the other yeah. stuff about where you know he basically wants a 50s housewife um you know and, and as you said is somewhat similar to don't worry darling in but in a more comedic way i guess yeah and i also think that what the film doesn't get into exploring is part of the appeal of um melanie griffiths what is her character named e is that her name I think they call her E. Let me go back to E. Johnson is what her name is. Yeah. Um, well, I think part of the appeal by the end of the film for him is that he realizes that Cherry 2000 is boring because he always knows what to expect because more or mm -hmm. less it is the same thing. There is no pushback. There's no surprise. Right. And that's all he gets with with E. Johnson, with uh, Melanie Griffith, is it's just a hanging on by one hand, madhouse, wild ride. And he discovers that while that's scary and frustrating and all of the other things about a relationship, that's also exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so there's this sort of growth. There's this sort of character growth that the, again the movie does not get into one iota we you see that because i'm describing it to you we see that he chooses melanie griffith over the robot but there's no development of that idea this is not a movie without a more this is not a movie with a moral it's not a movie that's trying to teach us anything mm. it's cherry 2000 about a sex robot and a mad max trip into the the forbidden zone, you know, and trying to avoid getting killed by a madman and his goons, you know, and yeah. buried in there is this love story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, it really doesn't run any deeper than that. I think as a, as no. a popcorn movie, it was fun. Um, it's not the most fun of the ones we've watched, but I don't regret having spent the evening watching it. I got high and no. I thought that was appropriate. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's it's well enough put together. And this is another one where I, I kind of remark about this a lot, I think, on the show. But, you know, this old movie now that these old movies that have been 
you know, cleaned up for 4k or whatever, you know, this movie looks really good. You yeah. know, it looks, doesn't look like a 40 year old movie or whatever it is, you know, no. um, 35 year old movie. And, um, so yeah. And, and, uh, a couple of other thoughts that I had about this, it, I've been aware of this movie ever since it came out for whatever reason, I just never saw this and it, you know, I guess they sold it based on, like you were saying, you know, it's cherry 2000. And I really thought this was going to be an exploitation movie and it's not, I mean, like you said, there's, right. you know, even the love scene that he has in the beginning or, or he and cherry 2000 have in the beginning is not, I don't think there's any real nudity in it or anything. No. Yeah. Um, it's, it's relatively and it's tasteful as these things go. And it's pretty much, uh, and it's not even like they have her or Melanie Griffith in, you know, little outfits or anything like that. Right. No and, space uh, bikinis. <laughs> no space bikinis. It's pretty much bloodless. I, I don't remember that. You know, there's there's violence in the terms and in, in in terms of people being shot and things, but I don't I don't really remember any blood or gore or anything like that. Right. Um. But these movies are always funny to me. So we had tons of these in the eighties. Uh, partly, I think, just because of the success of Mad Max, but uh, you know, the, we had lots and lots of these post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic movies that take place in the desert. And one theory that I have for this is, you know, the the popularity of Mad Max, but also I think these movies were probably just easy to make because they just go out in the desert. You don't have to have a lot of sets or anything. Although right. this has, especially the the ranch. I forget what, what it was called, like Sky Ranch or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't remember is, either. You know, is a pretty neat set. But these movies, to me, always really have a feel of of just kids playing. You know yes. what I mean? It it it, it makes yes. me think of when we did Super 8 movies when we were kids. Yes. And this just really feels like with, you know, somewhat of a budget, a bunch of people just out in the woods, out in the desert, rather, playing, you know, and I as think opposed that... to... I think that speaks to the intended audience. You know, I think that I yeah. think that this was a movie in the 80s that was like this. I mean, not that mom and dad can't come to this movie, but I think this is for high school kids and young college kids mm -hmm. out on dates or out killing time on a Saturday. Um, It's a popcorn movie. It, it, you know, it's a it's not a thinker. Um, it wasn't a big budget. It couldn't have been. I don't know what the budget was. It couldn't have been a big budget. Um, no. And that's really what it. I think it was aimed at. It was, you know, if if parents wanted to take PG-13 age kids to this, you could. There's nothing so objectionable. Again, there's no gore. I think it's rated R, though. But I think it's rated R. F-bombs. Yeah. But it's a pretty lightweight R. There's... Yeah. There's not a scene in it. You know, some of these movies have a scene or two in them that you watching them now or we remember them from when we saw it as a kid that left a mark on you, whether it's mm -hmm. I mean RoboCop there's a lot, but you know the scene where they blow his hand off in RoboCop, that scarred me. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my yeah. god." Um and th that that whole movie has a gore aspect to it that is designed to to leave an impression. So that's not a great example. But I feel like a, there's a lot of these movies that spent 
a big chunk of their budget on that one thing that they were going to reference in the trailer or like, you know, it's an album mm-hmm. that's mostly forgettable, but there's like one catchy single on it and they spend all their money on that, whether it's a robot that skewers someone or, you know, or whether it's a particularly racy sex scene or something like that. They, they've got yeah. one kind of anchor scene that they're like, this is the one that'll get it. And I don't feel like there really was that envelope pushing or or ratings board challenging scene in this movie. Um, I think no. it was R for kind of adult themes. Still pretty tame, even by the 80s standards uh, and language, because I just wanted yeah. to say, well, we want to be able to say whatever we want. And it was kind yeah. of refreshing. That, it's I, not like it's Yeah. I was sort yeah, of this felt, was there was an innocence to it that felt kind of fun actually. I was like it definitely seemed like they were purposely making a pretty lighthearted movie because this definitely was the type of movie that, like you said, you put a gore scene in it or you have a gratuitous, you know, like a bunch of women in it in showers or something like that, you know, which it could have easily done with just had a bunch of you know robots that easily you know, are naked. he could have gone yeah. to buy to shop for a new sex robot and they could have had a bunch of nude women he could have, in the warehouse there could have just been basically mannequins you know they could have all just been hanging up you could have gotten skin in this any number of ways and made that either mm-hmm. salacious and or disturbing the the nut job out in the desert that could have gone really dark that could have gone mad yeah. max dark if they'd have wanted to I mean, heck, the wasteland itself could have been populated with all kinds of mutants and devastation and mm-hmm. walking dead ask even just fixed set pieces where you pass some homestead where there's just the remnants of whatever horrible thing happened to these people. <laughs> you know, even if it was 10 years ago, the walking dead is mm-hmm. full of static set pieces where there aren't even any walking dead. It's just, you know, it's this sort of diorama of the world that used to be and how it ended for this family. And those scenes in The Walking Dead are some of the most, you know, troublesome ones for me. You're just like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. that's horrible. And some of those are right out of the comic book, too. And I think they're some of the most yeah. effective and honest from the original source material. Anyway, this movie could have done any of all of those things and still not blown its budget. Um, and it didn't. And I kind of yeah, just... like that it didn't. I was just kind of like, oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of a lighthearted, fun silly movie you know it never it never gets too serious or too dramatic or or any of that you know um they're watching this it reminded me a lot of a newer movie um so we did uh a a girl walks home alone at night at one point you know pretty early on in the show and the director of that uh and I, I always have a hard time with her name, but Anna Lily Amarpour, she directed a movie in 2016 called The Bad Batch, um, which I have to think that she had at least seen this this movie before, Cherry 2000, because The Bad Batch is it has some pretty similar themes. It's out in the desert, and you know, there's these. It's a post apocalyptic thing, and there's these crazy you know, all these different crazy characters. It's a really strange movie that maybe if you're interested, we could watch sometime. It has, um, 
Jason Momoa, Keanu Reeves, and Jim Carrey in it. And Jim Carrey is unrecognizable. Right. Uh, I think I watched the trailer. Or I watched some of it. You were telling me about it when we did that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't it's, think I've seen the whole film, though. It's it's interesting. I mean, it would definitely be a good conversation. It's a weird, weird movie. But there's, I, I really, I have to think that she had, that this movie influenced her to a degree. Uh, I, I just can't imagine that she wasn't aware of this or anything. But uh, it's it's an interesting but very strange movie. It's much more, there's a lot more, it's, it's pretty violent. Um, but kind of funny too. I don't know. It's really hard to, really hard to describe, but, but I, I yeah. was feeling major vibes of that, you know, watching this year yeah. 2000. Well, we have just on that note, we have talked about, you know, what's next and our list and a number of different films have come up. One is the possession film, which is screening on shutter starting tonight. Is that true? Yeah. Starts tonight. Yeah. So and that's Sam, um, um Sam Neill, Sam and Neal. I forget what the actress's name is. From the 70s, it. gonna, right? It's uh, 1981. 81, okay. And it is a movie that um, we had tried to do a few months ago. But couldn't find uh, it. Because I, it kept coming up on lists that I was seeing of like, oh, this you know, this is a really great kind of cult film. So the, the actress's name, Isabel Adjani. Um, but so we tried to watch it and it wasn't streaming anywhere. Um, and so then shutter, I guess, bought the rights to it, remastered it and yeah, it hits shutter tonight. So, which this is January 5th when we're recording. So for people who have shutter, you know, it's going to be on there shutter in the U S I don't know about UK or other, other yeah. countries that shutter is available in, but if you don't have shutter, I'm not sure where you can watch it unless you right. can you know, get a DVD copy of it or something because yeah. it's it was it was almost to a degree like kind of a lost film, um, and uh, but Shutter you know got it and remastered it and everything and so uh, so and I think it's, it's that's, horror right psychological horror yeah psychological horror yeah so um, you know I'm definitely gonna watch that probably this weekend so if you want to do that next. Um, yeah, no, we've been talking about the, the question is whether or not we do that next. We've also talked about the menu, which I actually watched um, last night, um, which is on HBO. What did I watch? Yeah, that it's on, on HBO Max. Yeah. And we also talked about Strange Days, which is another movie that was basically that was not streaming anywhere and it hit hit HBO recently. So that's another right. one that that we're going to do at some point. Yeah, so, so we should do the ones that might not stay on the platform, right? Mm -hmm. Whether or not we do, I think you'd be interested. I would be interested in talking with you about the menu. That's uh, Ray Fine. Okay. And, um, you know, a number of other people you'd recognize. What's her face again? Anya Taylor Joy. Anya Taylor Joy, who's now in every movie, apparently. Mm -hmm. It's released. This that's okay because she's great, but she is great. Uh, and she's great. She, I'm glad that she's working. Um, so maybe since that one is you just watched it and it's fresh in your mind, maybe you know, we could do that one next if you want. It's up to you. That's sure. I'm not gonna like not okay. I'm gonna watch some of this other stuff too. So the order that we do them in is less important to me than we do okay. them. The thing with this movie is I actually watched it two or even three weeks ago. So it's not as fresh mm -hmm. in my mind. I mean, we've had a lively conversation about it, but 
I vastly prefer having seen the movie, ideally having watched it the day before we record mm-hmm. um, or at the most two or three days. So it's really fresh in my mind. Um, yeah. Because my old mind is getting <laughs> <laughs> a little fuzzy. Um, <laughs> and I watched it in two sittings. So I watched it. I watched like half of it a week. Or, I was uh, I was dog sitting for my sister. And uh, so I didn't have a whole lot to do while I was there other than yeah. just watch movies and TV. Yeah. And I, uh, I watched like half of it and then I finished the other half yesterday. So, um, and it is, I don't know if you watched it on prime, but I watched it on Tubi. So it's on Tubi for free with ads. I don't remember. I think I rented it. I think okay. I rented it. I think it's cool that these, these services like Tubi that you can watch stuff for free. Cause there's definitely mm-hmm. some content that that's the only place you can see it. And there's some content that you're like, I'm mildly interested, but I'm not even three ninety nine interested. <laughs> you know, yeah. so we'll see. I'll watch some ads, but you know, most of the time, like if we're watching it for this, I have come to loathe ads so much that the I'll just be like, bad. here's my $4. Don't interrupt me. It, it's, it, you really notice it like when you're really into the movie and the ad breaks in and it's the same ad. They sometimes mm-hmm. show the same ad three times in a row. Um, It really takes me out of it. You know, it breaks the rhythm of it for me. So, but I love that there's that yeah. option. You know, some people, there was a time when I didn't want to pay for content and I'd be like, okay. But now I'm kind of like, look, if we're going to watch it, let's watch it and I'll pay. And for that it. brings up something interesting that we've talked about this a little bit, maybe on the past episode or a couple episodes ago, I read an article about this that explained something that I had a question about. So HBO max is, is people are kind of upset because they are removing a lot of content. So like original programming of theirs, Westworld, for example, that's um, what blows my mind is it's original. It's HBO produced stuff. Right. So I read an article. It wasn't an article. It was actually somebody's Twitter thread. This is somebody who works in, you know, the industry. And it, this is super complicated. I won't go into all the detail about it because I don't even completely understand it. But the, and this was this guy's theory. He wasn't saying a hundred percent, this is what they're doing, but, um, the streaming rights, uh, that, um, the, not just the actors and the directors, the residuals that they get, there are special residuals that the crew members get that their unions negotiated a long time ago. Uh... And when streaming came about, they, it was basically like, Oh, well, this doesn't apply to streaming and uh, kind of the long story short with it is they there's something about the time frame that they pay the residuals so basically the longer there's there's like a period i think of like 28 days or something like that uh, from when a title hits streaming that they don't have to pay the residuals and then once they go beyond that 28 day period then the residuals kick in so basically they said what all the streaming services are wanting people to do is just watch stuff immediately, you know, like the day it hits and for a few weeks afterwards. 
And then they don't really care about people watching after that because it costs them money. So th that was what this guy's theory was for why HBO is, is removing titles. So, which is pretty crappy, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's one of those things that viewers aren't going to understand. They're just going to be like, Hey, why does, you know, my, and they were also saying this uh, for um, even kind of uh, series that, seem like they're performing pretty well um but you know aren't like a blockbuster thing where people just right. binge the series immediately because because people are always like hey i like the show and they you know they're not right. renewing it for a second season or a third season or whatever again it has to do with how long that stuff is sitting on the platform yeah. in terms of how much they it it, it costs them in terms of paying out to that, which is pretty bad, but yeah. Well, uh, so they need a new model. They need to come up with a yeah. new model because yep. a lot of these services are generating their own content. And uh, I'm sure you're going to see, you know, unions for the different people involved are going to say, okay, this is a new world. Now we're not going to be under the rules of VHS or DVD or whatever, or right. cable television. You know, so I'm sure well, you don't, in a perfect world, what you want is you want them to be trying to create really exciting new content to draw people to their platform. Yeah. And you want that content to be available. Like if I'm a subscriber to it on a monthly basis, I want to be able to watch that content whenever I want. And, you know, if and, you, and of course, to be fair to this, to the streaming service, you don't want to at a certain point have financially them to be disincentivized to create exciting new content right so mm -hmm. you don't want some pay structure where obviously we want i want the crew and everybody who went into making it to be taken care of and be meaningfully rewarded if a show remains popular over time then they should get a piece of that also but you don't want it in some way you don't want the math to end up being and i don't know that this is the case i'm just speculating you wouldn't want it to be such that in a certain model, HBO spends, you know, $100 million on a thing that turns out to be hugely popular and people love it for the next 25 years. And at a certain and they point, they start to although, lose money on it, although they make yeah. all their money back and profitable over time, the residual mm -hmm. structure is such that it, it costs them money. Right. Mm -hmm. So because that's going to disincentivize them from doing it. So you want to reorganize right. it in such a way that everybody gets a piece of this great cake. And maybe after a set period of time, as returns start to diminish, so do the residuals in some way. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it ought to be percentage based. So you we can you can track how many people are watching how much of whatever. And it's like YouTuber, how you know, this was watched a thousand times. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your percentage of a thousand watches, it's gonna be if people are watching it more, that's a bigger percentage if people are watching less. I mean, I suppose you just end up having to trust <laughs> HBO yeah. on that. but And I'm definitely no expert on this, but I have read a lot of stuff over the last couple of years that um, people who are involved in, you know, in the entertainment industry say that the the deals for creators now, of course, you know, the people at the top are always going to make tons of money, you know, the sure, um, you know. Uh, funny, funny how that happens. <laughs> funny how that happens. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like big, big stars are signing these huge deals with Netflix, you know, and the other streaming services. But they say that in general, you know, the writers and the directors and the actors that aren't 
the you know the top A list people, right. but the deals with streaming are way worse than what they oh, yeah. were with traditional television or you know traditional movie making or whatever. So yeah, because they're like, look, you're just lucky to get your work out there, kid. Mm-hmm. You know? um, yeah, stinks. Yep. So so that explains uh, you know one aspect of the of the streaming services, but yeah. but so yes for. For now, the things that we're planning on watching in the near future should be should be available. Yes, yes. So, um, would you would you recommend Cherry Two Thousand to our listeners? Yeah, it's. I mean, I I think it's a you know I I think it probably definitely appeals more to people of our our age that grew up with you know these kind of films or people who are into you know a lighter Mad Max kind of a thing, um, you know, and just kind of light, uh, light sci-fi. Yeah. Um, which doesn't seem like we get a ton of now. I don't know. No, no, it doesn't. I'm trying to think that the ones that leap to mind are sort of concept pieces like her. Did you ever see her? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, I like that where one. it's actually it's not a dystopian future. It's a kind of a no. utopian future. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a love story about um, an AI, basically, of human being and an AI. And I thought it was um, a beautifully acted and charming little, little, little feeling romance about, mm-hmm. you know, one man, one man's uh, heartbreak and. You don't see a lot of that because it it no they made it look like it cost them some money, um, but there yeah. aren't spaceships and lasers and you know battle scenes and all of that. Well, and you had big you had Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, Scarlett Johansson so you know they I'm sure they paid them quite a bit. Yeah, but yeah, you you know we get a lot of even even now um, a lot of horror comedy seems to always be pretty popular, but in the eighties horror or not horror but uh sci-fi comedy was kind of a big thing that has has gone away a bit you know um yeah you know we had these movies like inner space and uh uh short circuit and you know all these kind of things that yeah really aren't really made anymore yeah I mean, I love big overwrought sci-fi. I love Dune and and mm-hmm. Blade Runner twenty four. I love it, love, love, love it, especially when it's good. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, sure. But like, I was watching uh, Tom Cruise's. I watched a little bit of Oblivion the other night, just mm-hmm. because I the design of that is so gorgeous. I just it's love, a great looking movie. I love the look of that movie, and I think the script is really the the concept in the the concepts in the movie are cool. The kind of core concepts, mm-hmm. the execution just feels like the studio got its hands on it, and some yeah particularly focus group you know decisions were made about how specifically the ending, but just how the whole movie was going to go. And you thought, wow, yeah, it, this could have. Like I had such high hopes for this about a th- all the way into a th- like a third or even half of the way into this. And then it started to be like, oh, are we doing we're doing that? Oh, God, we are. Mm-hmm. We're doing that. You know, and yeah. then the rest of the movie just had a bitter sort of finish because you're like, oh, this could have been this started so great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. So with um, Cherry yeah. 2000, you recommend this one too? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, it, there's nothing too much to object to other than, is it great? No. But I was it was kind of fun, you know? I thought, yeah. If, if you're interested, if you go, oh, Cherry 2000, yeah, I've never seen that. Maybe we should watch that. I'm like, yeah, check it out. <laughs> you know, it's not going to change. I would your just life. say it's definitely it's definitely not what I was expecting at all. Like like I say, I I I just always thought this was going to be like kind of right. sleazy. Yeah, you know, exploitation. Me uh, too. Like some of the robot, a little bit. Some of the Terminator knockoffs feel that way. Like it's a robot organism and it takes people apart with its ad hoc blade hands, and you're just like, okay. And I always, I, you know, I would see the the cover or whatever, you know, because I can remember seeing this in video stores as a kid and even just seeing it come up on Prime or whatever. And I always thought, wow, you know, Melanie Griffith was in that movie. Like that just doesn't seem, yeah. you know, like it's, it's like, oh, she had to pay the bills or whatever. But no, it turns out it's not that kind of movie at all. It It is not. It does not feel sleazy, even though it plays at sleazy. Like mm -hmm. I, the 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 um tracker bar or whatever is like you get the sense of this is a seamy's underbelly of this sleazy and nope, doesn't feel that way at all you know it yeah. just feels like 80s camp you know it's like we are tough guys we listen to tough music <laughs> okay yeah. it you definitely know, it, feels clear. a lot it tells the story like you're supposed to be scared of these people and you're like i get it that's clear Everyone in the film is scared of these people, but I in the audience, I'm not scared of, you know what I mean? I'm not the bad guy in the desert. It's just bonkers. He yeah. does do one thing that there, there actually is one scene. They kill somebody, the one tracker. Yeah. Somebody, somebody is a tracker is like a sleeper agent or a double agent or something. They catch him and he gives him a bag with a big bullseye drawn on it, like in crayon. Like it's mm -hmm. not, it looks like a kid made it. And he has to put the bullseye on and the bullseye ends up being right in the middle of his face. And he shoots him with a bow and arrow, hits him right in the bullseye. So initially he has a, he's going to shoot him with a gun and there's some, and they're like, Oh no, no, you don't want to use that. And they, they hand him a crossbow and, or a bow and arrow. Yeah. And he just shoots the guy right in the face. And you know, there's no blood and his eyes don't leak out and he doesn't spasm in an upsetting way or anything. He just sort of, you know, it gets hit with the arrow and falls over and everybody kind of applauds. But I I do now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that's kind of messed up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's a and that scene is like, a little out bit here in the desert. We do crazy stuff like this, you know? It's a little that scene is a little bit harrowing because it's kind of tense. Like you're like, oh, is he are they really gonna kill this guy? You know? Yeah, they they give him time to be afraid. And it's like, this is not this is what I was afraid of, is that they would catch me and figure find mm -hmm. out I'm a tracker, you know. And so, you know, but still, yeah. still, I mean, I forgot about it until just now. And then I'm like, oh, wait, there was that one. <laughs> I feel Otherwise, like it's pretty much like, yeah, TV, 80s TV level violence. You yes. Know? Yes. You wouldn't do that on the A-team, but all the rest of this kind of feels like you could see it on the A-team. Oh, yeah. Except for the just language. like people they get do... shot and they just fall over, you know. You don't see them bleeding, you know, yeah. like squib. There's not squibs going off and stuff right. like that. Right, exactly. They don't, they don't bother with any of that. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, so I would say, sure, if, you know, if if you if this makes it sound like it's of interest to you, then check it out. It 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 delivers and it it does what it does. It it tromps through this sort of dark territory in a sort of surprisingly light-hearted way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and after all these years, I'm glad that I finally watched it. You know, yeah, because yeah. I'd always been interested in it and just you know never got around to it for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what we're as to what we're going to do next time, like it might be, I don't know that I want to commit to it right now, unless you feel like you have a burning desire to commit to one or the other. It's going to, no. we're going to coming up, we're going to talk about possession. We may or may not talk about the menu. Um, we're going to talk about um, Strange Days, another Ray Fiennes movie. Might be kind of nice mm -hmm. to, on, on the menu theme, pair those two. Yeah. It's two very, very, disparate performances from Ray Fiennes and a really um, young Ray, Ray Fiennes and an older Ray Fiennes, you know? Yeah. Where he's an authority figure in the menu, but he's not the kind of typical, like Ray Fiennes is good at playing uh, the man in command, mm -hmm. very high level, high status, you know, sometimes bad guys, sometimes good guys with a real edge, mm -hmm. you know, he's the, that's sort of, he's fallen into that. And here he's a, chef so he has that kind of commanding air but it's much more interesting psychologically than that in the menu um and i still have no idea other than just seeing the trailer i have no idea what it's about yeah i so. don't want to tell you too much because and i i won't say too much here because i don't want to i don't want to spoil it before people even see it but mm. it's uh, and that is a 2022 film so in some ways it is precisely what you would expect and in other ways it's nothing like what you would expect and mm -hmm. I don't think it entirely works. Okay. But I did, I don't regret watching it and I would be interested to talk with you about it. And it's on HBO max for, so people who have HBO max, right. it's there. If you're already a subscriber. Watch, there you know. it is. You know, it looks great. Yeah. It looks lush. And, um, yeah. Nice. You know, if you, you can check out the trailer and that's the whole movie looks like that it looks like butter. So, mm -hmm. um, cool. Excellent. Um, so, so, um, Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. We're on the socials. Maybe you're watching us on YouTube. Maybe you're listening to us on your favorite podcast, whatever. Either way, thank you for joining us. Like, and subscribe. That helps us a lot. Leave a comment, engage with engage. us. Engage. Number one. <laughs> and we will. Um, yeah. I mean, unless you have anything else you want to add tonight. I think that's it. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>